This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. June's slipping in. Just May. When did, when did May happen? That's my question. I don't know. It may have passed us by. I don't... I, May was... <laughs> when did May happen? I'm so <laughs> confused. Time, this book that I read this week, which we're going to talk about in a minute, yep. a lot of it's about aging. Okay. And as I age, I just feel like the years go faster and faster. April and, to me yes. this year went by very quickly. Mm-hmm. May was like really full. So when I look like back on it, I guess it went by quickly, but like a lot happened in May. So when I th- when I try to recall events, like I can put the I feel the time more than I feel it while I'm living through it. Like if oh, I think back yeah. to something that happened in September, I'm like, "Oh yeah, it makes sense that that happened in September. That was a pretty good long amount of time ago yeah but then if i try to think back to like what the beginning of may was like i'm like i don't know man like <laughs> i didn't even know that it, i wasn't even aware that it happened and now the calendar's turned over already i don't know if this is interesting i'm just like i'm having one about I f- time the, i right feel <laughs> yes the beginning of june really snuck up June it is a slippery it's, it's, week here. We're still, we're right here as we record on the third. Like it's the month is still early. It's full of promise, but before you know, it, it's going to be like June eighteenth, and you're like, well, I might as well write this one off. I'm yep, not getting anything. To, yeah, I'm not getting anything done in June. <laughs> <laughs> that maybe Memorial Day is really playing tricks on me mm-hmm. with, with regard to June. Because mm-hmm. that Monday holiday always kind of like, well, the rest of the week is that's not real. Yeah, it's trash. It's trash. Anyway. This podcast isn't trash. We're not throwing it away yet. No. This is a podcast where we talk about books every week. One of us mm-hmm. reads a book, tells the other person about it, and Andrew read the book this week. Andrew, what book did you what what did book the book that you read? What is it? <laughs> Tell me already. Why are you I waiting? The, I read the book Less by Andrew Sean Greer. Finally. <laughs> telling me. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. I've never heard, I I Slipping had heard of this book when we programmed it, but I have never read it ever. Did you know that it's won Fiction Science Prize, the Pulitzer Prize? Yeah, for I fiction did know that. in 2018. The well, we'll talk about the book later. I can tell you right now that the Pulitzers refer to it on their website as a gen- a generous book, musical in its prose and expansive in its structure and range, comma about growing older and the essential nature of love. It's yeah, like that's not wrong. Yeah, I will. I will say, and we've we talked about this in our as as, as part of our pre-show, like what to what to come prepped for sort of conversation. Yeah. Yes, I'm a little like I'm not a, a student of the Pulitzers. I don't know what kind of book like no. normally wins it, but this book, you know, it was I I enjoyed it. It was fun. It also didn't feel like enormously distinct from like a million other books that we've read about like by authors who are writing about 
writers who happen to, you know, share a lot of important biographical characteristics with the author. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like it's yeah. a, a book written about a guy who writes books. It's a, a, about like a midlife crisis by a guy who's about the right age to have a midlife crisis. Like it, it seems I'm, I was a little surprised that it to, to hear that it was elevated in, in that way, because I, I thought it was fine, but I also thought it was like, you know, not like super remarkable. So, but we'll, we'll talk about the, the stuff that I liked. I just yeah. wanted to open with that. That, that was a running theme of, uh, Goodreads reviews. Uh-huh. Um, most of them three star, three star good reviews. Probably the earliest we've sang that song in the podcast. Yeah. Ever, I've been thinking actually. about, I got my guitar. I've been thinking about adding chords, but we'll, oh we can God. figure it out later. <laughs> Yo. Um, but yeah, a lot of, you know, a lot of people really like this book. I have some r- review quotes that we can talk about from folks who, you know, when it came out, really glowing praise for it. Um, and to me, the, the rap on it in those seems to be that it is a similar to maybe how some Oscar movies wind up being like movies about film. Uh-huh. Like because the people deciding are people who have devoted their lives to film. Yes. So like a book about writers that is about the right in some ways about the industry of writing and publishing and like the writing process and the and, writing yeah. process. Yes. Um, might catch more attention and then like then it enters the conversation. But anyway, so yes, this book um won the 2018 Pulitzer Prize. It was a finalist for a Lambda Literary Award. It was on lots of best books of 2017 lists. Um, so, Andrew Sean Greer, first thing you need to know about him, he's an identical twin. Whoa, I didn't know. He was born in 1970. That's who's his tw- twin? Is his twin anybody? Uh, his twin out here writing books called More? I don't. I don't know. Which one actually. is the evil twin? Actually, also, do you know that? Do you well, know that? I do. In the photo that I see, Andrew Sean Greer has a mustache. Mm-hmm. He has a okay. bit of a beard, but he does have a mustache. Okay, that would be yeah, yeah. That's a it's a pretty good signif- signifier of yeah. m- mirror universe kind of evil guy stuff. So let's presume that he's the evil twin. Okay, you gotta um, have, you gotta have something to twirl. And yeah. what's what else is a mustache for? He grew up outside of D.C. Uh, to uh, scientist parents. That's like in every profile on him. They were chemists. Um, he started writing ghost stories at the age of 10. Um, he but studied... who was phone? Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, he studied at Brown University, which is, um, in one interview he talked about, that's when he came out to his parents uh, as gay, and that's also it spurred his mother to come out. Um, which was an interesting anecdote. Oh boy! Yeah. Um, Post grad. That was a fun. <laughs> that was a fun conversation for. <laughs> just, I share for that as dad. just like yeah. I I I want people to be able to share who they are with the people yeah. in their lives. Yeah. And if that helps other people share that with their family members, that's great. Yeah. Um, after Brown, he had a lot of odd jobs. He was a chauffeur. He was a TV extra on SNL. Did some other, you know, writing jobs. Then he moved out to Montana to get his MFA. Then he moved to Seattle, Andrew. He was mm-hmm. writing for a magazine based mm-hmm. in Seattle mm-hmm. in the 90s, mm-hmm. targeted mostly to kids. Mm-hmm. What magazine do you think he was writing for? I, I don't know. Was it about music? It was not about music. I'm, I'm not sure. Was he it was, was it Nintendo Power? It was Nintendo Power. <laughs> 
In an interview with EntertainmentRealm.com, he said, I worked for Nintendo Power Magazine, which was dedicated to helping American kids get through the very difficult game levels seen by the company to be too hard for Americans. I had to win the games and doc... <laughs> that makes he's me talking, chuckle. He's talking about video games I, like an alien. <laughs> like, this is clearly was a job to him, and he's not a passionate gamer. I had to win the games and to document in kid pros how to beat it. It involved hours of gameplay, and my godsons thought I was the most amazing adult ever. Then I'd write the articles. I was hardly ever at the Nintendo campus except to talk to the game developers who gave me maps and tips. It was so long ago that I got the job after answering an ad in the local paper. That's great. I just love that cool. so much. Yeah. I googled I googled Andrew Sean Greer Nintendo Power to try and find mm-hmm. any of his writing, and it I couldn't. Yeah, I don't know I don't if there's like, a searchable in, Nintendo Power database in Nintendo Power. Like, did, did the articles in the like the the uh, tips and tricks section like were there even bylines, bylines on it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think just like we have a pretty good stable of overdue authors who have been at the Iowa Writers Workshop. I yep. think we need to start collecting former <laughs> Nintendo Power writers. Well, also. I think Greer might be both because he did. Um, he moved to San Francisco. He was writing in, in ma- magazines and um, collect, you know, publishing stories. He later taught at Stanford and the Iowa Writers Workshop. I don't think he went there mm-hmm. as a student. Mm-hmm. So he gets one and a half credit for okay. being the Nintendo Power Iowa. We have to find someone who <laughs> who's done both. Who was a student at Iowa and then mm-hmm. wrote for Nintendo and then wrote Power. for. Okay, all right. Um, but so yes, his first collection of stories was how it was for me. He has seven. Uh, works of fiction, including that. His first novel, The Path of Minor Planets. Uh, his first, another novel, Confessions of Max Tavoli, which is sort of a Benjamin Button-esque story. Um, got a lot of acclaim. It's about a guy who's born into the body of a 70-year-old, and then I think he ages backwards. Okay. You know. Yeah. Sure. Uh, got him the New York Public Library Young Lions Award. He was under 35. That's how you qualify. Mm-hmm. He got the California Book Award. He was picked for the Today Show. Similar, to, I guess, to that Calvin Kasulke thing. I don't know. I wonder if the segment that they did for that book was as <laughs> weird and like tonally discordant with the like the content of that book. I don't know. Uh, Story of a Marriage, two thousand eight. The Impossible Lives of Greta Wells, um, which is about a woman waking up in multiple times in the twentieth century throughout her life with the same people in the same room. I understand I mean, this I, book. I woke up multiple times in the 20th century with the same people in the same room. Hey. Do I get a Do I get a book? <laughs> you know, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still waking up, aren't you? It's just yeah. the 21st century. Sure. Uh, and then Les published in 2017. Uh, he published a follow up, a sequel to his Pulitzer Prize winning work. I just read a sequel to a Pulitzer Prize winning work. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, he published Less is Less is Lost in September 2022. He does say he started it before he won the Pulitzer. A likely story. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, he taught at Stanford and Iowa. He was a Guggenheim fellow for three years. He was the executive director of the Santa Madalena Foundation. It was a writer's retreat in the, you know, the ramshackle town of Tuscany. In yeah, Italy, I mean, maybe you've heard of it. Um, but there's at least one interview with him where he talks about when he found out about the Pulitzer. It was literally his like boss, who was a baroness, who had a pug who was incontinent. He was changing that pug's diaper, and then his friend Michael Chavon, the other uh, Michael Chabon, Chabon Bond, Chabon, Chabon, Chabon. He called him and told him, like, "That's wonderful news. I just changed a pug's diaper." Mm-hmm. Um, 
So this novel started, he started in 2014, and it did start out as like a, I mean, for lack of a better word, traditional somber novel about a gay writer on the cusp of 50, uh-huh. and he said he couldn't find himself to care about the guy and basically decided, like, what if I made him fun instead? I think to the extent that I d- do um, not not bounce off the book, but just kind of, like, wrinkle my nose at it and be like, okay, book. <laughs> <laughs> is that all of this is part of the story of this book like literally yeah, all of it sure yes uh-huh yeah. mm-hmm. um and it's you, like I don't, I don't i don't mind writers writing about writing sometimes yeah. i do i do like it better when it's like that stephen king book that we wrote where he's just like burning everybody for the first third of his ghost book for no reason <laughs> yeah sure um when they're just when like angrier a, yeah when they're just a little you know matter about it that's interesting and there it's was a, true that they had and, and and they'd have something to die mad about there was at least one interview where he said i could have written a version of this book that was angrier and decided mm-hmm. not to mm-hmm. which that's interesting that you say that um yeah. he did say you know contrasting it with the attention it's gotten from the pulitzer award he said uh, to the new york times i thought no one was going to read it which was very liberating Mm-hmm. I put things in I thought no one would ever read, and so it's a little shocking now. And I, I do think that that is, a, that is a common thing of any artist, where they are often, either it's an early work, or it is a work that they don't think is like, they're not writing it to get acclaim, they are just writing it because they, or creating it because they need to, um, and then all of a sudden, like, it, it takes off, or sure. something. Mm-hmm. Um and then he, in that same interview in, in 2022, talking about why he wrote a sequel, um, he recognizes it's weird to write a sequel to a Pulitzer Prize winning novel. Uh, he said, it was a one-off. I certainly didn't think there was more to do, but I wanted to write about America, and it was a good way to do it. He said in other, other interviews that he wanted, the sequel has like a road trip element through America. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, I already have characters that can make this happen. What if I just use them instead mm-hmm. of, you know, inventing things from whole cloth? Sure. Um, and for this book, he said, there's a lot of sad books about being queer. I thought I would really like one on my shelf that has some sense of joy in it. Um, I think he, he references Brokeback Mountain as another story that he's like, I don't need to write a book like that. I don't need yeah. to write a book that has sad endings. You know, there there is a moment in this book where he the, the author who's writing the book where Arthur Less, who's writing a book about a sad gay man, is also changing it to give that man a little bit of joy. Oh, no. <laughs> After being called a uh, bad gay by somebody for writing sad gay books. Okay. So it's just like, it's all in the book. It's all Great. in here. Okay. Is there any anybody writing for Nintendo Power in this book? Nobody writes for Nintendo Power, at least not that we see, but we also don't really know much about Arthur Less's youth or like okay, maybe... Great he wrote for like the official PlayStation magazine or Game Informer or something, you know, did sort Sega of similar. Did Sega ever have a magazine? I mean, they did what Nintendo Nintend don't. Didn't. So, so they probably, had they a probably radio didn't have a magazine. Yeah. <laughs> Sega magazine. It's worth knowing. We can't go to the break until we know whether or not Sega had a magazine. Sega Saturn magazine was a monthly yes. magazine from England covering the Sega Saturn. I will never forget 
It held the official Saturn magazine license for the UK, and some issues included a demo CD. Whoa, nice. I've only ever seen a Sega Saturn once, like, in person in my life outside of a retail store, and it was when I went to Florida to visit some cousins, and somebody had a Sega Saturn, and I was like, what is that? And then I (laughs) never touched it again. Sega Power, initially known as S, colon, the Sega Magazine, was a future publication aimed at the Sega range of consoles. (laughs) Not sure if this was officially sanctioned or not, but... Just a zine. I think, about if you're, Sega. I think if you're calling it Sega Power, you're clearly going for a Nintendo Power kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sega Force is Sega. what mine is. <laughs> All right. Let's take a break, Andrew, and then you can tell me about the book itself. Okay. If we haven't already said it, because as you said, it's in the book. Craig, speaking about aging. As you've gotten older, have you ever sort of noticed your body doing like a new thing that it's never done before and thinking, should it be doing that? Every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. (laughs) Well, if you are having, if you're having these problems where you don't know if they're problems or not, but you really could use somebody to talk to about you can find a doctor to look at you on (laughs) Zocta. There are thousands of medical professionals on ZocDoc who are there to help you. They listen like a friend and give you the expert care you need. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. Uh, So when you're not feeling your best and just trying to hold it together, finding great care shouldn't take up all of your energy. And that's where ZocDoc comes in. Uh, Using their free app that millions of users rely on, you can find the right doctor that meets your needs and fits your schedule Book an appointment with a few taps in their app and start feeling better faster with ZocDoc. Uh, I've used ZocDoc to schedule dentist appointments and eye exams, including for some weird stuff that honestly I was thinking about bringing up on the show, but I don't want to subject people to eye stuff. Yeah, well, like so. So sometimes, like you know, it, you blow your nose and some like a little bit of air comes out of your oh. eye hole. <laughs> oh, okay, I know about this. I'm just making, you can't have. I like was really. Th- Stressed by the fact you might have some eyes, like some freaky eye stuff that I didn't I mean, know about. It's, uh, no, it's just it's the stuff you know about. But anyway, okay. use ZocDoc to try <laughs> to try and get some help for that. Anyway, go to ZocDoc.com slash overdue, download the ZocDoc app for free, then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash overdue, ZocDoc.com slash overdue. Here we are. We're back. We're here. We're back. We're back. More is less and less is more. Mm-hmm. The, the book does, the book ends on some wordplay about Arthur Less's name. I'm which not it, surprised. And it never, I was a little surprised that it never, like maybe it's supposed to be subtext that his like name is Art Less, but. Well. You do get a little bit of. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the end wordplay at the end, because it is a, a very long <laughs> walk to get there. Yeah, so, like, but, where do you want to start? You want to do some plotty plot? You want to do character boys? So, uh, let's just let's just do the big, like, here's what the big, the big thing that drives the entire arc of the novel is. Oh, yeah, okay. Arthur Less is 49 years old. He's gay. He lives in San Francisco. He has relatively recently broken off a relationship with a younger man uh, who is in his 30s, but they'd been seeing each other for, a, you know, for a while. A while. OK. Um, since he was since uh, 
Freddie, the the his boyfriend was in his twenties. So it's been it's been like a long running relationship. Okay. Um Freddie is gonna get married to somebody else mm. and he has invited Arthur and to his wedding. Oh to boy. his wedding. And so Arthur as a sort of a mid tier author who has written like one book that a lot of people liked and a few others that have gotten panned, but like he's you know, he's he's known ish. Sure. Um, he has, you know, we get we get in the overdue inbox sometimes, like some PR pitches for things. Yeah. Um, and we usually just like delete them without reading them, or we or we say thanks but no. Uh, so Arthur, in a bid to have an excuse not to go to this wedding, that is not just him sitting alone at home in a way that people are gonna like talk talk yes. about. He needs he to have to, a public reason to not attend. Yes, yeah, so he decides, okay, I'm going to I'm going to say yes to a bunch of different weird things that's going to take me on a trip around the globe and I will not be in the country when this wedding is happening. I will also not be alone on my 50th birthday which is coming up. This so is he decides some, he decides to go around the world and some have medical a, have an grade copium is what this is. <laughs> Jeez, yes, sure. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, that's int- that's an interesting hook to to get us started. Yeah, yeah, and I it is it is interesting. So the book is is chopped up into um, a different chapter for each place he visits. Somebody, um, some review I saw mentioned like around the world in eighty days, like like name checked what's his name Phileas Fogg or whatever. So okay, I didn't realize it was a a globe trotting novel yeah he just, it just kind of happened to to work out that he could start in so first he goes to mexico uh then he goes to italy then to germany to which is where he spends the most time he like teaches a course there for uh for five weeks and that's some of the funniest stuff in the book is that okay. he thinks that he knows he he is basically conversant in german but he thinks his german is a lot better than it is and the way that the dialogue is rendered in in the book is like literally translated to English what he is saying in in German. So there are a lot of funny like turns of phrase in there. That's actually, good. That's I probably like my that. favorite stretch of the book. Uh, then he goes to France. Then he goes to Morocco. Then he goes to India. Um, and then he's in Japan briefly. And then he goes back home. Okay. Okay. Um, so just kind of all over the place. Are there characters other than? Arthur that persist or is it like each place is like all right let's get a new let's get a new cast of characters you know so, what i mean Freddie you need to know about um yeah. you also need to know about uh, Arthur's other like a big long-term relationship that happened when he was in his 20s and the guy he was having a relationship with uh Robert was in his like 40s and 50s so Robert had been like a mirror thing okay. yeah Robert had been married to a woman and then uh, sort of leaves her to be with Arthur. They're together for like a decade and a half. There's a bit in here about me. I pulled it up. Okay. Um, uh, Arthur Less has for the past decade and a half remained a bachelor. This came after a long period of living with the older poet Robert Brownburn, a tunnel of love he entered at 21 and exited blinking in the sunlight in his 30s. Where was he? Somewhere in there he lost the first phase of youth like the first phase of a rocket. It had fallen depleted behind him and here was the second and last. He swore he would not give it to anyone. He would enjoy it. He would enjoy it alone. But how to live alone and yet not be alone? It was solved for him by the most surprising person, his one-time rival, Carlos. So Carlos appears a couple times. 
they kind of are frenemies a little bit. Uh, Carlos is Freddie's like adoptive father. So Freddie's like parents died. And I think Carlos is like uh, he's either an uncle or a friend of the family, but he's taken Freddie in. And that's how uh, Arthur meets Freddie in the first place. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. When he is, when he is similarly in his early, early twenties, Arthur is in his like late thirties. Um, yeah. So those, those are two big relationships to sort of clock. Okay. okay. And the, that little section also gives you some kind of window into how the book is thinking about like aging and youth. Like Arthur feels very old at 50. There are other characters who are older than that who are like, yeah, I re- like, I would love to be 50. Again. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, it feels very much like I remember being 29 and feeling like ancient. Yeah. And now at 37, I'm like, man, 29. That was so, that was so long ago. Yeah. And no. also just, we just did our college reunion yep. and I'm still like mad that the pandemic like just burned. Yep. Like a couple years of like prime thirties for there was like a feeling, our entire friend group. Yeah. There yeah. was a feeling. Of, so we just did our 15th and I, I certainly identify with that feeling where it was like, we did our 10th five years ago. A, a lot has changed, but also like it feels like maybe not enough has happened because uh-huh. of that. Yeah. Where like a lot of different stuff has happened to people, but we all kind of went through a, a period of weird stasis or change that felt like stasis, I mm-hmm. think, for a lot of us. Yeah. 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 Well, and um, this is interesting in that it's like aware of at least three generations of, of people this book is, is what it sounds like. Yeah, and it's it that sort of ties into, like, you can see, so you mentioned that this began life as, like, a serious, a serious gay book. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> For that's lack the of, way like, that Greer would put terminology. it, yeah. And then it was lightened up later when Greer decided it, it just needed to be lighter because there was plenty of gloomy stuff that yep. existed already. Yep, Um so this is happening like Arthur Less's generation is living in like the shadow of the AIDS generation. Like, okay. Yeah. Uh, Arthur Less is the first homosexual ever to grow old. That is at least how he feels at times like these here in this tub. He should be 25 or 30, a beautiful young man naked in a bathtub, enjoying the pleasures of life. How dreadful if someone came upon naked Less today, pink to his middle, gray to his scalp, like those old double erasers for pencil and ink. He has never seen another gay man age past 50, none except Robert. He met them all at 40 or so, but never saw them make it much beyond. They died of AIDS that generation. Les's generation often feels like the first to explore the land beyond 50. Sure. Uh, How are they meant to do it? Do you stay a boy forever and dye your hair and diet to stay lean and wear tight shirts and jeans and go out dancing until you drop dead at 80? Or do you do the opposite? So it's that is those are the glimpses of the like the more serious book, I think. That to me is if I'm. I've never been on the Pulitzer Prize Committee. I, I feel comfortable sharing that with everyone right now. Wow. Huge reveal. Huge reveal. Huge mm-hmm. if true. But mm-hmm. so if people that... are lobbying to win a Pulitzer, they can cross one name off. Stop of this calling me. Stop. <laughs> How'd you get my number? But I feel like that is the that is the kind of theme that I would expect a book to at least get into the conversation with, right? Mm-hmm. Of like mm-hmm. uh a little bit of like awareness of historical context. Aging is both a universal theme and one that you can make very specific to the gay community and gay men um, in this instance. So that's, yeah, that's interesting. And and how it charts across people in like literary circles where everybody's very aware of who came before them as artists and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also sure. like there's one more um, section that I 
think I, oh yeah. Um, less know so well the pleasures of youth, danger, excitement, losing oneself in a dark club with a pill, a shot, a stranger's mouth. And with Robert and his friends, the pleasures of age, comfort and ease, beauty and taste, old friends and old stories and wine, whiskey, sunsets over the water. His entire life, he has alternated between the two. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's thinking about aging. It's thinking about like intergenerational relationships. It's thinking about what it is like to feel young and, and feel old. Cause I can, you know, I read that paragraph and I'm like, yeah, I, I, at some point in the last five years, I feel like I have shifted from the first, <laughs> from the first description. Not that I was out doing, uh, doing pills and shots and yeah. finding strange mouths. <laughs> five years ago but <laughs> no i hear you though like just what, like the, the kind of like when if i'm thinking about what an ideal evening is it's very much just like old friends sitting around yeah and just like enjoying each other's company because we've yes. known each other forever yes and the mm-hmm. time when we did exceptionally stupid stuff is on mostly purpose. on yeah. purpose mm-hmm. is mostly in the past mostly <laughs> <laughs> no that makes sense and it it, it what I'm interested now to hear about is like, how does the, these are the bones of the book that he started with. Mm-hmm. And he was like, how about some comedy? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you did, you, in some What's of your, the deal? in some of your passages, you have included like some of his similes that mm-hmm. seem to be, to like land most, or like, and I've read a couple other passages that have metaphors that seem to be his like primary comic mode how did that is you that is a lot of the comedy in the prose the the it's because this is in the book too so this is just kind of how he has chosen to funny it up but arthur less has gone from being i think if you assume that this book took roughly the same path as the in fiction book that arthur less is writing yes sure it started as a pretty serious book about like a middle-aged white man who nobody could feel very sorry for and became a book about this like ha- sort of hapless like smart guy but also kind of an idiot who mm. just kind of like f- tumbles into weird circumstances it's just the the comedy is partly just like how it's written you know the little things about you know like the 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 pencil and ink eraser, That's a good, like those, yeah, yeah, those little yeah. things. And it's partly like Arthur less is, has taken some pills to help him sleep on the plane and he takes one and he falls asleep and he wakes up thinking it's only an hour later because he hasn't clocked the time change takes a second and then has to like stumble drugged through an airport <laughs> to like make his connecting flight. It's okay. Arthur less steps out of the, this is not what literally happens, but it's sort of the style of, of, conundrum that he gets himself into it's like yeah i'm gonna ruminate a little bit about aging and i'm gonna step outside of my house and i'm gonna immediately slip over a banana peel and fall yeah. into an open sewer like yep. it's it's very like <laughs> womp womp like scooby-doo <laughs> like scooby-doo sound effect kind of stuff like tuba playing while he walks yes. and like slide whistles and stuff okay yeah and and so just as um uh uh, and some, so this is talking about the book that Les is writing. Uh, somehow a bittersweet longing starts to appear in the novel that was never there before. It changes, grows kinder. Les, as with a repentant worshiper, begins again to love his subject. And at last one morning after an hour sitting with his chin in his hand, watching birds cross the gray haze of the horizon, our benevolent God grants his character the brief benediction of joy. 
Um, mm. That is very much like the way into liking Arthur less is sure. just being like this, this silly man <laughs> does. does like, he deserves good. It makes it, it makes him likable to watch him just kind of like stumble into things and still, um, I don't know, like retain some small sense of humor about it to like not get too down about it to just like keep trying stuff. Yep. It's not it, a book of Job. It's a Don Quixote. A little you know, bit, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, there were. I know couple, what you mean. Yeah, couple reviews I read mentioned like maybe finding like one was actually a Kenyan review review um, where someone kind of like recognized that maybe the like the second third of it or whatever like as the travelogue wore on, they were like, okay, I get it. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. And then the ending, they're like, yeah, but I really do actually, okay, I do like this guy and I'm happy for him. Yeah, I think the space, especially the space between the German chapter and like the the final run of it feels a little inessential. Because it, okay. it feels like you're, the way the story is told is like you're in the present and then you jump back to the past with Robert. You jump back, back to the past with Freddie. It all kind of blends together a little bit if you're not like really dialed laser in. focused yep. on what he's doing in that country. And so if what he's doing in the country is not like extremely memorable or interesting, then you, it just kind of glides by you a little, sure. a little bit. Like there is a, a bit of funny stuff in the Morocco chapter where he's on this tour group where everybody gets like sick one at a time and just like <laughs> stops being in the tour group. Um, and that's, that's around also when he has the epiphany about like how to fix his novel, which he, you know, he thought he was done with, he handed to his publisher. His publisher was like, eh, I think, I think you could take another swipe at this. (laughs) Um, like use, use this vacation to inspire you and and come back again with something else. Yeah. Um, like that's also where he has the revelation about like how to fix the book. So it's, so it's interesting there, but, um, yeah, like not not all of the chapters feel as as fun to read as you've you know as you go on sure. and keep visiting new countries. I mean, I want to find some of the. Well, do German... you like talk me through a little bit of just like the getting us to the German? Like, what has happened to him by the time he gets there? What is you know you don't have to give me blow by blow of each country, but just he, like what yeah. is what types of offers is he answering in, for these? In, in Mexico, he's like so. So is he the trip actually starts in New York, where he's like talking to this famous sci-fi author who has like terrible food poisoning, <laughs> and also everybody showing up dressed up like as like a character, yes. as, like a sci-fi okay, something. Yeah, and Les did not get the memo about that, so he has to just like borrow an astronaut helmet from a bar <laughs> that he's in, and then coax this man, like totally thanklessly, coax this man through an interview without. Yeah letting him embarrass himself. (laughs) Um, He goes down to Mexico and he's like, he is having a a talk basically. Like he's going to be on a panel or something. Okay. And one of the other people on the panel was supposed to be Robert's ex-wife Miriam. Hmm. Um, But she doesn't end up showing up, but she does like send her love to him, like indicating maybe that there are no hard Hard feelings there in that relationship. Um, and it's it's all tied up in this like it I think he was at a high school reunion where one of the events was uh billed as an evening with Arthur Less and nobody showed up. So oh, it's no. just like him working through the <laughs> like the parallels to that situation. Uh he goes to Italy and he wins a pretty prestigious award, but he sort of realizes 
like for, for, so for his, I think for his biggest book, he's, he, it's either his biggest or his most recent book. It's not really important, but he comes to this realization that like the translator must've been great because <laughs> I am a, I am a notable author here in a way that I am not in like any other country. So it must, <laughs> it must've been somebody who took what I wrote and did something really beautiful and lyrical with it. And she should be getting this award, but I'm getting it anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, and then he's, so then he's showing up to Germany to, teach this class for five weeks um let's see. there was at least one review i read that that called this out as like a memorable passage because i guess it sounds like you also enjoyed like the german funny parts but that mm-hmm. it was also a window into like the writing process greer's treatment thereof and that made it memorable i think i think that was the guardian review mm-hmm. um, six greetings class i am arthur less <laughs> I am your Mr. Professor. <laughs> uh, my birth year is sex five. Do you mean you were born in 1965? Exactly. The journalist is right that I have 50 years, but I have 49 years. Oh, we wrote your birth year wrong on the flap copy. And so journalists have been reporting that you're 50 when you're only 49. I'm so sorry. That must be so frustrating. Long pause. Exactly. 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 Laughter. I am not an old man. Of course not. I'll make a note for the next printing. Uh, and may I say that in your photograph, you look under 40. All the girls in the office are in love with you. Long pause. I do not understand. I said all the girls in the office are in love with you. Laughter. Thank you. Thank you. That is very, very nice. Another pause. I like love. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Okay. Um, yeah. So there are just a lot of little. and and but But it is... That is endearing to a lot of the a lot of the Germans who he meets. Like he strikes mm. up this brief affair with with like a Bavarian guy who really loves sports, and he's like, "You you talk like a child, but it's it's cute." Yeah, it's cute. <laughs> and he, you know, he's teaching this class. It seems like it's going to be a disaster because he can barely you know speak the language. But he's just having the students sort of take passages from known books and sort of like dissecting them and putting them back together and just like doing weird word games with them. Remix culture. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, uh, though the course features curiously, neither vampires nor Frankenstein monsters. The class title was named like named. Franken- yeah. Like you're supposed to read like a vampire and write like Frankenstein or something. Like you're like, cobbling together things. Yeah. And you're like mm-hmm. sucking, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, no one has given them scissors and glue since they were in kindergarten. No one has ever asked them to translate a sentence from Carson McCullers. Uh, in the town, there were two mutes and they were always together into German uh, and pass it around the room, retranslating as they go until it comes out as playground gibberish in the bar. There were two potatoes together and they were trouble. <laughs> <laughs> What a relief for their hardworking lives. Did they learn anything about literature? Doubtful. But they learned to love language again, something that's faded like sex in a long marriage. Because of this, they learned to love their teacher. Yep. Okay. So that's kind of how you learn to to like Arthur Less, too. Yes. Um, yes. Well, and yeah. so far, the like, it also seems to be painting a portrait of what it is to be in this industry mm-hmm. where you're like, you're not the most successful person. So you go to a whole bunch of places and you're like, you're on the panel, you see someone you know, and it's awkward. You're mm-hmm. teaching a class in a random place where you're like, maybe qualified, maybe not. You're- yeah, and like, and like mainly if you can get your travel and room and board covered, like you're doing pretty good. 
it's and it's probably worth it because yeah. like mm-hmm. you're still waiting on your next book that's going to come out and you don't know what's going to happen with it so you probably should try to get paid somehow mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. okay that 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 is the part to me that like a lot of reviews mention it as satirical and that's not a, a tone that you have necessarily <sighs> satirizing what like the the literary industry and what it is to be this th- level of author i think doing that it's it's doing that a little like there's a bit where i think robert wins a pulitzer which is kind of funny mm, okay. um, first he talks about how he'd been pronouncing it wrong his entire life and it's not pulitzer <laughs> it's pulitzer um but then he okay. t- just talks about like awards kind of being fake and like the judges have like a specific kind of thing that they're looking for and maybe you like you happen to be operating in that space at the right time and they find you and they like you, but it's not like, it's not truly some big meritocracy where everybody is truly under consideration. Oh, that's very true. Um, and and just like the 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 absurdity of, go ahead. Do you think the Pulitzer judges saw that passage? And And it's just that Leonardo DiCaprio pointing, pointing picture. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. And so they're like, prize, give it. They mm-hmm. got us. Good they need one. To make more Oscars about giving out the Oscars. I guess if you hey. want to win some, if you want to win some Oscars, that's that's what I hear usually wins. Mm-hmm. La La Land. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not about the film. It's about jazz, but you know, it's about the it's about the uh, plots you don't use. <laughs> it's about the stories. It's about the stories you don't tell. So, okay, the memorable German chapter. And then you said earlier that, like, from there to the end, it was a little, like, the travel part of it was a little less interesting to you because it was, like... just, yeah, like, you know, you get some more mishaps and some more little anecdotes and you you all throughout, like, are... like the the rest of the narrative, especially the stuff that happens in the past, is unfolding. So you're learning okay. a little bit more, but it it does. After the German chapter, I don't I don't think it was quite as distinctive. But let let's talk about the other like so the yeah. the big overarching thing with Freddie. That's what I was going to ask about. We haven't talked about um, him and Freddie that much. Yeah. So it's it's he several times is told by so he meets a lot of people who he's who he's known in his life yeah. on this yeah. trip um that is partly you know how he's gotten all these gigs stitched together in the first place is kind sure. of like knowing somebody or like knowing somebody who knows somebody um and there are a couple like starting in the middle and in the back like half of the book there are some he's given the opportunity a couple of times to like get an update on Freddie and like what's going on with him. And he's just like, no. Mm. And it feels like to you, the reader, like, I don't know. Did, did Freddie go through with his, with his marriage? Is there like, is there something else going on there? Like, and, and somebody's trying to get a hold of less, but he like misses it because he's passed out on the plane or something. Um, there's this like ticking in the background that something yeah. Freddie is up. Okay. And every once in a very great while you hear from the narrator of, of events. Cause it's not like first person from Arthur Less. Oh, it's like third person from okay. somebody else's perspective. And so you get just a little bit and you don't know who this person is, but you, I think if you had to take a guess, it's not hard to guess that it's Freddie. Oh, sure. <laughs> because it's somebody who thinks very fondly of Arthur Less. Mm. Um, and also make sort of oblique references to something happening with another partner. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
But when you get to the end, like the, the part where Arthur is coming home from his, from his trip, um, it shifts into this a little bit more removed, like third person where it's just describing what, uh, what Les is, is doing, you know, he's like walking up the steps and he trips over the thing that he always trips over and (laughs) sure. And, um, he would be interested to know that my marriage to Tom Dennis lasted one entire day, 24 hours. We talked it all through on the bed, surrounded by the sea and the sky in that Lessian blue. Uh, that is Arthur Les has a suit that's blue. Okay. (laughs) That gets destroyed. (laughs) That gets destroyed by a dog in India. That's one of the, that's one of the, uh, mishaps. It's mishap. It's just like he has this dog who is his worst enemy in India who just shows up and causes trouble. <laughs> okay. Um, that morning when I stopped crying at last, Tom said as my husband, he had a duty to stay with me to help me work through it. I sat there nodding and nodding. He said that I had traveled an awfully long way to figure out something I should have known sooner, something people had been telling him for months and that he should have known when I locked myself in the bathroom the night before our wedding. Oh, boy. Um, I nodded. We embraced and decided he could not be my husband after all. Um. So, and some, uh, the, the book ends, uh, after choosing the path people wanted, the man who would do the easy way out of things, uh, your eyes wide in surprise as you see me after holding it all in my hands and refusing it. What do I want from life? And I say less, but, uh, but, 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 that's not even, that's funny because I would not have expected that to be the wordplay on his name. Yeah. Ever. That's mm-hmm. cute. Okay. You want less. Um, so they end up together at the end. Like there were just, I, I think less felt a little strange about like the, the age difference in the same way that he, he just thinks about how he felt as like the younger man in a relationship mm-hmm. with an older man. And I think sort of projects things onto Freddie. Like he's, he is, resisting even like calling it a relationship then they just like hook up all the time and maybe it's not like a real like serious thing sure um you know he thinks that freddie is going to go off and find somebody his own age and sort of leave him alone and and so he kind of holds him at arm's length a little bit there's a quote from a from the guardian review by i just want to make sure i make sure it this was by patrick gale mm-hmm. he said less undoing perhaps is that he has been loved by a genius so he has fallen into the habit of seeing himself as on the periphery of things mm-hmm. a twink turned daddy he has yet to make <laughs> which is just very good he has yet to make the adjustment from kissed to kisser mm-hmm. and wreaks emotional havoc on anyone drawn in by his air of baffled innocence that seems to be what you're sort of saying is that he, he was the younger guy he never fully like calib- recalibrated himself into the role of someone who could be with Freddie long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, and there's very much like as you as you get toward the end of the book, like a, a sense that you know he has a, has a conversation with Robert, who's in poor health. He has a conversation with uh, Carlos, uh, Freddie's adoptive yep. father and his frenemy, where it becomes clear that you know you've been kind of in Les's head the whole time, so you have a picture of him as this you know like modestly successful, but not really sort of bumbling guy who, I don't know, nobody really thinks a whole lot about. It seems like we wouldn't have access to what anyone values about him from that perspective. Yeah, and so you you get glimpses toward the end of the book that like, yeah, you like people like you and people think you're a a good writer and, and, you know, you get perspective on him from other people, much in the same way that if you 
like have a habit of tearing yourself down, it can, it, it, it can be interesting to hear what other people like actually think about. You. Yeah. Um, huh. That, that's yeah. the one element of the book that I had not heard referenced anywhere, like in, in reviews or at Just least like I the internal versus external perspective. Yeah. yeah I'm, prob- I'm that, probably not doing it like full justice, no, I mean, but, that, it, but it's an interesting thread that goes in along with all the other like midlife crisis sort of stuff that's happening. That, that to me makes the like the structure make more sense of like him off removed from his life and then when his like the people in his life actually kind of intrude back into it what he's gonna get out Mm -hmm. of that Mm -hmm. that seems like the the coup of the book maybe for for people who really liked it yeah and i like i i find myself enjoying it more like talking about what i liked about it um do you think it's, it's like a little light from a like a it's just got it's a bunch of things that happen element yeah or? i guess I, I i don't know if i was i feel like the books that sometimes make the most like interesting overdue conversations have like a moment where they twist and become like super weird and unexpected in some way and this is this is less that ah but it did yeah, it did i don't i don't know it's just like a book about aging and and relationships coming yeah. at like the exact moment where I am being forced by events to think about my age and my relationships. So not escapist so, fiction is what you're saying. Yeah, no, not, not at all. Um, some people really like staring at the sun, Andrew. That's all, um, you know, like so, that is what some people want out of. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that it's the better or worse than not wanting it, but that is certainly mm-hmm. what some people are like. This is when people want to get in their feels. Mm hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I'm still a little like hmm, Pulitzer, huh? Well, because it feels like I guess I don't know what I want a Pulitzer book to be, but it just slip. it feels very it feels very real, and there's some real like p- profundity to some of the like musings. Yeah, sure. But it also just it feels very sort of small in in scope, almost. Sure. Yeah. In a, in a way where I I read like Pulitzer fiction winning and I feel like it has to be a little more like expansive and that's yeah that's not know. the book's, like, that's not the book's fault but I, no, it no, no, is no, no, a, no. it does come with you when you open the book after they've like put it on the cover or well and I just and I just like I noticed that um, it has like relatively low like Amazon and Goodreads reviews just like collectively it's like hovering in the mid threes to low fours which is like fine but it's you know those scales basically run from three to five yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) like that's what most people use so i was just wondering like is there like did people see that this won a pulitzer prize and ended up on on a bunch of like best of lists and then got it and read it and didn't like it because it did feel like kind of like a meandering thing or like a collection of anecdotes like you know, do, were people surprised in an unpleasant way by like the the content and scope of the book? And because because I was sort of re- I felt myself responding to that a little bit as I was as I was reading through it. Does the that make three, sense? The three star Goodreads reviews that I read I'm had not a couple. It again, you I don't need once to. per episode. Yeah, of course. Listen, <laughs> they're gonna pay you extra if you're gonna yeah. sing it again. Yeah. Come back out for that encore. Mm-hmm. Um. Justin said that the writing was magnificent, the witticisms numerous, 
but kind of couldn't get into the all over the place story. Felt like it was almost too traipsing and whatever. Um, one guy, Michael, said that it was vividly written but lacked a strong sense of direction. Sure. And so if if what you if what helps you read a book and get stuff out of a book is that it kind of has a propulsion to it, it sounds like maybe this might not click for you unless mm-hmm. you really resonate with the like there's like there's a lot of ways for this book to maybe bounce to like not hook you um some people don't always click with like comedy comedy is tough too like i think that is often uh a trickier thing to land for mm-hmm. people yeah because like it is subjective you know mm-hmm. more so than even the act of writing fiction which is inherently subjective i'll stop talking it's <laughs> yeah that's pretty much what i got okay I, I yeah this is it's not it's not a super long one and it's and it's not it's it's light but it's not fluffy I guess is what I would say so Ooh. yeah it's not it's not sugary yeah not saccharin mm-hmm. other words treacly too. yeah sugary uh, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time to talk about how I didn't know how to pronounce that word we don't <laughs> listen. <laughs> I'd never heard it pronounced out loud. It mm-hmm. looked like it would be pronounced shugi. <laughs> and here we are today. Uh-huh. Well, lest we become shugi our- ourselves, let's uh let's let's wrap it up. I Send guess. us an email at overdue pod about when you first learned how to pronounce shugi. Mm-hmm. Shugi. This is like the stank that you've kind of put on it. You know, it's like higgy. It's shugi. And the way that you started like leaning more into it when you realized that. I lost all control over my voice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because people were coming at me for saying it wrong. And I, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to say it right, but I want to honor my feelings. Mm -hmm. I'm shugi. Sure. Hi, I'm shugi. Hi, I'm. (laughs) (laughs) Send us an email over to (laughs) podgmail.com. Uh, social media at Overdue Pod. Thanks to AA, Chris, Alex, Emily, Jeremy, Marcy, Shugi, Cody, Adam, Tom, Katie, <laughs> and many more for reaching out in the past week. Thanks to Nick Chugi Larangis for composing okay, our theme music. Times. Two is funny, three is silly. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? OverduePodcast.com is our internet website. We also have a Patreon project up at patreon.com slash overdue pod join our discord community get access to bonus episodes early all kinds of other stuff uh up on our website we do have the schedule for the month uh craig do you want to read them the schedule for the month of june yes i will do that in one second it started with less by sean andrew greer and then it will be gulliver's travels uh by jonathan swift then it will be, uh, what is that one called? Summer Water by Sarah Moss. I'm looking up the author for our next book, <laughs> The Roaches Have No King, which is by Daniel Evan Weiss. Mm-hmm. And we got a bonus episode for you in June. <laughs> it is. Uh, so remember when we read Calvin and Hobbes and everybody yeah. had a great time? Yeah. Craig was just like, we were just doing some spitballing for bonus episodes. And Craig said, is there anything like Calvin and Hobbes? And I was like, well, I mean, Garfield is an American institution. So we are going to be reading uh, Garfield Fat Cat Three Pack Number One by Jim Davis. That is the name of the book. Uh-huh. Um, it has multiple. Well, it is, well, it is one book. Mm-hmm. I don't want to but say But it's the multiple. first three like Garfield story collections. They are yeah. up in the at least in the 70s now. 
Yeah. So there have been a lot of these. The first Garfield's one Garfield been going for a while. Here is is mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, the book unfortunately is called Garfield Fat Garfield Pack. Fat Fat, fat, fat Cat Three. It. It's the Garfield Fat Cat Three Pack Number One by Jim Davis. By Jim Davis. So that'll be a, our bonus episode. You can join us for that bonus stream. Go to patreoncom pod, uh to join. You'll find out more information there. Thanks everyone for making that recording possible all right fat cats until we talk to you next week please try to be happy That was a HeadGum Podcast.